entertainment capital of the world. Oh, there you go. Jeff Green. Sorry. As this game is going on, he's feeling it, and you can see he's rising to the occasion. It's the T.C. Martin Show. Oh, awesome, baby, with a cow with the leg. It's time to get your daily prescription from the doctor, T.C. Martin. This is your captain, baby. Hey, come with me. The doctor is now in. Hour number two, the madness is upon us. A little March Madness, getting ready for it here. Loving every minute of it. Don't forget, we'll be at the Cosmopolitan Las Vegas Friday for Hoops and Hops. We will not be in the sports book, our traditional spot, but we will be upstairs in the Chelsea for the Hoops and Hops party, the greatest March Madness viewing party in the city of Las Vegas. Very happy to be part of that again for what going on year number four. Uh, it'll be glorious. It'll be fantastic. Not sure if they have any room left, but uh, go check it out there at CosmopolitanLasVegas.com. Hoops in Hops. And this year we'll be in the Chelsea. Great concert venue there. So they're going to turn that into a little March Madness hoopla festivities. Gotta love it. Well, a concert venue sounds like the perfect place to go dancing. Yeah, that's a good one. Look at you. Yeah. And normally, it's on the fourth floor in the Belmont Ballroom and usually houses like 4,000 people. Phenomenal. But, of course, with COVID restrictions, they've got to scale it back, and they've uh, limited it to uh, 500 people. There are going to be two separate uh, uh, parties of 250 downstairs, 250 upstairs. And where are we going to be? Smack dab in the middle of it. So we'll have... We'll have nutcases above us, nutcases below us, and uh, about nutcases running our show, and about 100, 140 <laughs> televisions around us. And yes, we have a nutcase running our show every day. Of course, very nice. All right, all right. Let's uh, start talking uh, some more brackets here. Let's bring in our good friend Scott Spritzer, handicapper extraordinaire. You like that title, handicapper extraordinaire? Well deserved. Yeah. It's positive. I'll take it. <laughs> it's, it's positive. That's about the only thing we want positive. Normally, hey, negative is a good thing, right? Okay, but well, this this is actually something where positive is a good thing. Absolutely, and I can't wait, you know, to to get this thing started. You know, I was with you down there a couple of years ago, the last time we had a March Madness, and uh, man, what a blast! You know, the Cosmo puts on such a fantastic you know, spread and everything else that goes with it. So just an absolute blast. But okay, Scott, let's be honest now. Uh, we know what you really liked the most about that day two years ago at the Cosmopolitan for Hoops and Hops. Tell our listeners what you enjoyed the most. Oh, the massage. There you go. Exactly. <laughs> so Scott and I got a massage while we're doing the show from the lovely Megan. Fantastic. As the Cosmopolitan provided massages for people because they knew how hard we were working, how diligently we were diving into these brackets. And it just wasn't us. I mean, it was, you know, customers, but I thought that was pretty nice. There it is. The only time you could probably... we were on the air, TC. Yeah. As we were on the air. But I got to give you a little piece of advice, if you don't mind on that. Sure. And, and what I did, and, and I, I, mean, I really didn't mean to do this, but it's, I'm joking. But anyway, I tightened up big time, all, everything I could. Now, I'm not Mr. Muscle here, but I tightened up. And that made her think that I really needed a good massage to last a good 20 minutes or so while we were on the air. And she's like, wow, you're, you're, really, uh, you're really tightened up and, and, and you could really use a good massage. And she's massaging my shoulders. And, you know, that's what you got to do, man. You got to just get all tightened up, make it seem like you're really stressed out. And she'll just keep massaging you for about another 15 minutes. There it is. <laughs> you got to do the tighten up. There, there's a dance for you. There's an old school dance. That's very nice. There it is. 
All right, hoops and ops on Friday. Looking forward to that. All right, Scott, let's uh, let's dive into these brackets here. So, uh, when the when everything came out on Sunday and you're looking at these things, uh, m- many surprises for you or not? No, not really. I mean, I'm one of those guys that really thought Belmont deserved to be in and they were left out. But other than that happens every year with a team or two. But I wasn't really shocked at the brackets. I mean, I, I think when you're the overall number one seed that you deserve to not have to play the best teams possible or the toughest path to get to the Final Four. And, you know, so I looked at some of the different brackets and I thought, you know, they were pretty good at at, at deciding who, you know, which number one seeds were going to go where, which number one seed was going to get the easiest path, and, and that was Gonzaga. And then the other three number one seeds, you know, their paths aren't so easy. So I thought they did a pretty good job. In fact, I would say if you rated this job that they did, picking out the brackets, picking out the seeds where everybody's going to be playing, to me it was one of the best jobs they've done in the last 15, 20 years. I agree with you because we didn't spend any time on Monday scrutinizing the bracket and say, oh, these guys didn't make it in or whatever. And the only thing, the question mark for me was, okay, was, was Duke going to make it in? But I think that Duke really set the tone themselves when Kevin White came out and said, you know, our season's over. Then they backtracked a little bit and they came out, you know, Saturday morning we're, we're looking at the ticker on ESPN and everything and saying, wait a minute, now, now Duke is, is eligible. Virginia and Kansas, they'll be eligible if they get selected. But I think the damage was already done by Kevin White saying, okay, our season's over. So I don't think the NCAA Tournament Committee really gave them much thought when it came to Selection Sunday, even though I th- still think, you know, at 13-11, they're still one of the best 68 teams or one of the best at-large teams. But again, I, I think that they took themselves out of the mix. But for me, I mean, there was really nobody that could say, okay, you, you have a case of, of, of crying that you should be in. Yeah, I totally agree. I mean, Duke's a top 35 team, so... But, you know, as you said, what happened is they took themselves out of the tourney, uh, so to speak. So they made it easy for the committee to be able to uh, not put them in the tournament. At 13-11, I know that sounds weird to say that, you know, they're a top 35 team, but they are. Uh, One team that I heard getting a little bit of a ribbing for being in the tourney was the Maryland Terrapins at 16-13. and But, my gosh, they play not only in the toughest conference in college basketball, uh, but they're another team that's like just outside the top 30 on my power ratings, Ken Palm's power ratings. So if you're really into making power ratings, you know why the Maryland Terrapins made the dance under Mark Turgeon. And again, I know they're only 16 and 13, but don't be shocked if they win a game or two in the tourney. And, you know, it took a, a, a tough game against Michigan for them to get, you know, knocked out in the Big, Big Ten Conference tournament. So, yeah, I had really no problem at all. And a couple of teams, again, I agree, Belmont, it really stunk that they didn't get their shot after winning, what, 21 games in a row. I understand all the sentiment for that basketball team. But i got to tell you something, guys. When you do power ratings, which is what I do, that's my first step every day in handicapping, Belmont's not in my top 100. So, you know, I, I'm not too over, you know, concerned with the fact that they didn't get in the tournament. I just clicked on Ken Palm for the heck of it. He's got them 104th. So it's not like this was a team that we all thought was a top 40, top 50 basketball team that got left out of the dance. No, I agree with you, Scott. And I was on Belmont quite a bit early on, but they really mm-hmm. faded down the stretch. And when they lost the, their, you know, two of their last three games and really got got toasted, uh, you know, in, in their in their championship game and even in their last regular season game to the same team, I think that's what kind of did them in. And and I watched them and I'm going like, wait a minute, this just just doesn't seem 
seem like the same Belmont team that we've seen in years past. It didn't even seem like the same Belmont team that we saw, you know, basically back in January. Yeah, you look at their metrics, it all looks good, right? But mm-hmm. again, they played the 302nd ranked strength of schedule. And as you just said, after that big, long 20-game, whatever it was, win streak, they lost to Eastern Kentucky, Moorhead State right. twice, twice, included in the conference championship. So three of their last five games were losses against teams that all ranked outside of the top 125 in college basketball. Uh, they only have themselves to look at and blame, I think, for not making it in the dance. Right. Scott, I know you guys are talking about some different teams out there. One team that I wanted to get your thoughts on, because I thought they were a better team, but I have no idea where they are right now, is Creighton. Because we saw Creighton, and we know the stuff that McDermott said, and there was a little bit of turmoil there. Then they're playing, and they look okay, and then all of a sudden they go and completely lay an egg against Georgetown, where they get outscored 34-3 to at one point in that game. Where is Creighton right now? How good are they? Were they tired? Is that, are they in disarray? Or what do you make of this club? And this is a Nebraska guy that we're going to get the straight Creighton scoop from right now, so I want to hear this too. <laughs> hey, I grew up 10 minutes from campus, yeah, I know. so this was my team. And, uh, yeah, I, it's funny. You know, a lot of people were talking earlier in the season, you know, after they whipped Villanova back around February 13th, 14th, that weekend, Uh, They were talking about having a chance to go deep into the tournament, and I kept saying even back then that I had last year's Creighton team, which we got shut out, of course, uh, with college basketball with the pandemic, but I thought last year's Creighton Blue Jay team was better than this year's, and when I look back at my power ratings from a year ago, I made that team a a three-and-a-half-point favorite over this team, if that makes sense. So I don't think this team is as good as last year's. They disappear I mean, that Georgetown game was just ridiculous. But even throwing that out of the mix, they disappear for big chunks of game time where it looks like they get a little bit lost. And, you know, we've seen them look like a team that could hang with Baylor for 10 or 15 minutes a game, and then the next five, 10 minutes of a game look like they, you know, would have a, a, a tough time hanging with mid-level teams. When I watched that game against Georgetown, I was shocked, as was everybody. It was 13-6 to Creighton about eight, nine minutes into the game, and it looked like this was going to be a 15-point Blue Jay win. And then, as you mentioned, they just go into a lull where they just completely disappeared. They've got to take care of the basketball. One thing down the stretch they did better than they did earlier in the season was like Zegarowski, for example, their top player. He took better care of the basketball. The problem for me, now, it's funny, before the pairings were made, I'm sitting there going, boy, I, I, I really want to you know, look to jump it on Santa Barbara in the right matchup. Can't wait to see who they're going to play. Well, they end up playing my hometown team. And, guys, when I root for college basketball and I don't have money on or against my team, I'm a Creighton Blue Jay fan. I see Santa Barbara's taking on Creighton. I'm thinking, boy, if I can get you know, more than three buckets, if I can get seven or eight points, I might be on Santa Barbara here, and that's exactly what happened. They came in as seven, eight-point eight, eight dog to uh, Creighton. So I'm looking at what Creighton, the ways you can beat them. They don't force turnovers. They're bad on the offensive glass, and I mean bad. They're like 250th in the country in offensive rebound percentage. So you can get second and third shots against them. Uh, they're one of the worst teams in free throw to field goal ratio, meaning that they don't draw enough fouls. That might be a good thing. They are 64% from the free throw line. That's 329th in all of college basketball. You're talking about one of the best shooting basketball teams in the entire country, and they hit 64% of their free throws. So it's, there's just no way I can lay more than three buckets against a decent basketball team when you're talking about Creighton. The scary thing is 
And, Frank, it's not a great answer. They can come into this game, play their game, not have a lull that lasts for more than four or five minutes, and win by 20. They could also come out and be leading this game by 10 at halftime and lose by 10. That's how weird this team has been this year. They did get over the Greg McDermott situation. Uh, the players love him. You know, Zagorowski, those guys, they said he's been like a dad to us. They felt he just misspoke. And I always say when these things happen, listen, it was a dumb thing to say. But when these things happen, you got to look at the guy's history. 35 years of the coaching business, and he's never had one player leave his program complaining about the way they were treated by Greg McDermott. So I think they're past that and they're over that. The players voted. They wanted him back. They love the guy. But, again, they're going up against an excellent, excellent basketball team that flies under the radar. So I think Santa Barbara plus the points is the way to go here. You know, and a lot of people think that, Scott. And, you know, what? I'm, I'm probably going to be on the other side of this game because I've seen Creighton like you have, you know, with those, those big victories when they beat Villanova by 16, where they beat Georgetown by 15, and, again, Butler by 30 and, and 20, respectively. And in the UConn, they beat them by three. UConn has all that size and everything. I don't know. I'm, I'm just going to say that maybe that Georgetown thing was a one-off. It was, it was sad, and people really remember remember the last thing that they saw and Santa Barbara is a sexy pick and I agree with you I think Santa Barbara is a good team but I go back to the point spreads and I look at that point spread game of the Big East Championship Creighton was an eight and a half nine point favorite in this game and you're telling me that against Santa Barbara they're going to be less than that so for me and again I could be totally off on this but I'm banking on Creighton firing it back up again and we're going to see that Creighton Blue Jay team that probably puts 75 or 80 on the board and all great points you know i'm not going to argue that at all because you know creighton if they're on their game like i was saying yeah you know they could win this game by 20 if they're on their game uh they just can't go into one of those lulls and you definitely don't want them at the free throw line if they're up eight or nine with a minute to go that's the scary part because they are so bad at the charity stripe you are right about that about the georgetown game it is a one-off yeah, they might lose that game by three or four. They don't lose the game by 25, and if they do, I bet you Greg McDermott probably junked the film. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. That's one of those games you don't even look to see the film at all uh, because it was so out of character for your program since he's been there. So, listen, I'm not arguing your point on that one. You make great points. They could come out and win this game by 20. I, I just worry about this team if they are close down the stretch to that point spread with their lack of free throw shooting. All right, Scott Spreiser joined us, Doc Sports. Scott, let's talk about the Thursday games because we actually got a couple pretty good ones. We got Wichita State and Drake. Wichita State, a a two-point favorite here. And then the big one, Michigan State and UCLA coming in. The winner gets the 11th seed. And Michigan State, a point-and-a-half favorite here. Give me your thoughts on both of these games. Yeah, as far as like Michigan State, for instance, I mean, I think we kind of, you know, a lot of people sold them short. I know they had that big chunk of losses they suffered back in January, but listen, it was against Purdue, Rutgers, Ohio State, and Iowa. They lost twice to Iowa this season, but they had their COVID issues. They really couldn't get it together uh, throughout the course of the first half of the season. And then when they were having these COVID issues, they have a little bit of a player lull. They were able to play games. They didn't have a big uh, downtime because of COVID uh, between their January 5th win over Rutgers and then that four-game losing streak that started on January 8th. But they didn't have all their top players on the floor. 
Then they come out, they lose four in a row, so all of a sudden we all think, okay, Michigan State's not what they were. They only lost to Purdue by one. They only lost to Iowa by six during that four-game skid. But that 30-point loss where they scored 37 against Rutgers is what basically stayed in everybody's mind. I, I think this is going to be a game against UCLA that is going to go to the very wire. I like being on teams that are good teams, like UCLA, top 50 team this year, no doubt about that. Cronin doing a great job. They lose four straight games to end the season, and all of a sudden everybody's selling this team short. And I'm talking in general when it comes to good basketball teams that lose four or five games in a row to end the season. I think this is going to be right to the very wire. I think it's anybody's game. I'm not going to be betting this contest. I think what you're going to do is you're going to see probably a game that's decided in the final minute. And I also think as far as the total is concerned, if you want to look to play that, it's going to likely stay under the total. I've got a projected uh, right now, my total was 131. It opened as high as 137.5. It's come down a couple of points, but I still think my 131 isn't bad. If you made me take a side here, I would back the Spartans over UCLA. When it comes to the playing game and you're looking at a game like this, and some people think it's almost disrespectful or, oh, damn, they have to play one more game than everybody else. But could it also sometimes work in a team's favor because they're going to have already a game under their belt, whoever wins this game, when they get ready for BYU or the other playing games in the teams. Obviously, the 16 seeds, you're figuring they're not going to be it. But an 11 seed, could it be advantageous to play in the playing game? Yeah, I don't. I, I agree. I don't. I mean, if you're kind of leaning that way, I, I would say that I agree because I don't think it hurts UCLA or Michigan State to play an extra game. I really don't. I think it just gets them more battle tested. Uh, will Norfolk, Appalachian, you know, Mount St. Mary's, or Texas Southern be able to advance past this first game? Not in all likelihood. But a team like Michigan State, you know, I think they can use all the action they can get right now. And again, if they're able to knock off UCLA on Thursday, they're not hurt by that at all, as far as I'm concerned. And remember how many times over the course, I mean, we're talking about 18 to 22-year-olds. you got in, energy abounding, you know, as far, as far as them being able to play a, a lot of games in a short amount of time. I always think back to that a decade ago, that six-overtime Big East Conference tournament game. And I remember calling a couple of buddies after the six-overtime game, and the winner of that game had to play in the championship game the next day. And I said, my gosh, everybody in this city is going to go against that six-overtime winner. You know, this is what Vegas was built on. We're going against the general consensus when it comes to kids being tired the next day. I think it helps Michigan State, a team like that, and even UCLA. At least it doesn't hurt them if they play this extra game. Scott, let's look at uh, some of these teams. You mentioned Santa Barbara, kind of sexy picks. And a lot of people haven't seen any of these these smaller schools play except if they watch the you know the championship games over the weekend. I'm talking about like Colgate, Winthrop, um, Liberty. Uh, let's throw Ohio U in there as well. There's there's a lot of people giving some of these underdogs some love here. Any of these that really stick out for you that could be a Cinderella story and maybe get to the Sweet 16 or beyond? Yeah, my thoughts, let's take Winthrop for a second because it's been such a sexy pick to say Winthrop is going to not only cover but upset Villanova outright. I mean, we saw when the pairings were coming out on uh, CBS and they were talking about, okay, Villanova's done. They're not going to get out of the opening round. 
Villanova doesn't have Gillespie. We get it. We saw what happened to them without him. But they are so much bigger than Winthrop. I think it's going to be one of those games where Winthrop has to play a perfect game. Nova has to contribute to Winthrop's cause by turning the ball over. Now, that could happen without Gillespie, their best player. But, again, they're so darn big and so much bigger than Winthrop, it's going to be tough for Winthrop to win that game outright, even without Gillespie. So that's a sexy pick. Another one is Ohio. And, guys, this has been you know, a crazy line situation. Ohio opened a 10-and-a-half-point dollar against Virginia. The line's down a full three points. It's now seven and a half. Over 90% of the money on this game are on the Bobcats. You want to talk about being a sexy underdog to the public. Uh, The money all over the Mac entry, I'm not a big Mac guy when it comes to the big dance. And the concern, though, for Virginia has been that they won't be able to land in Bloomington for this game until Friday. And again, I'm like, as long as they're able to practice, who cares? At what point during the regular season does a college basketball team get two or three days to hang out in the city they're playing when they're on the road? They're used to arriving the day before uh, they play games when they go away from home. So I just write that off. As long as they're able to practice this week uh, while they're going through all of this, I don't think it's a problem to arrive 24 hours between game time and the time they get there. Uh, The Bobcats own great offensive metrics. They shoot the ball well from the three-point line, deadly accurate from the inside the arc as far as twos are concerned. Strength of schedule scares me, 191st in the nation, and they are bad at defending the two. So it's a situation for me where, you know, maybe Ohio hangs that number, but you've lost three points of value. I don't think they upset Virginia. You know, that, that game is, is kind of scary in the sense that I was kind of shocked, and I understand why the books put the line up, because they want to generate action. But, you know, on Sunday, we're hearing that Virginia's not going to be able to practice. We don't even know which uh, team or which players uh, are even active because with the NCAA, you know, everything is hush us. It's not like, you know, the, um, like the NFL or major league baseball, we know what injury reports are. I mean, we don't know if it, if it's a starter or starters or reserve players, or even it's just, you know, statisticians, we have no idea. And I've found that kind of, uh, you know, amazing that they are able to put up a line like immediately on Sunday night with this Virginia situation. You know, Kansas was a little bit more clear, but, mm-hmm. but Virginia, it seems like we're in the dark here. Yeah, we are to a certain extent. And, and the bottom line is, is this. They had to put up a line, obviously. So what you do is you, you just don't factor in what might happen. You have to factor in, you know, what you know from the course of the season. So they made the right line power rating-wise. And then everybody started jumping on Ohio with the way they finished the season. Plus, everything we all heard, we were all in the same boat about Virginia. Which, it's funny to see people react to wanting to bet on Ohio so much so quickly in the week. Uh, because, again, if you don't know what Virginia's bringing to the table, you know, how can you jump on them, them or their opponent without really knowing? So, and again, for me, it's more of if they're practicing and not having problems, you know, they're going to win this basketball game in all likelihood. It's going to take a Herculean effort for Ohio to be able to get the victory. And now you've lost three points of value when you don't know what, what, or, excuse me, what Virginia is bringing to the mix. So, yeah, it's just one of those games where I've left it alone thus far. You know, if I find out tomorrow, the next day, that Virginia is practicing all week long before they leave uh, for Bloomington, I'll, I'll probably look to bet Virginia in some way. It won't be a big play. What I tell people to do or to look to do with some of these big dogs, like I've already done this with Cleveland State against Houston, look for spots where you can not only get that big spread but play the first half 
a lot of times you'll see these seeds that, you know, have no shot at winning the games outright, like Cleveland State against Houston, but they've got enough to hang around for a first half while that top seed or one of the top two or three seeds is looking to get their legs under them. And you'll see many times those games are three, four, five-point differences at halftime, and then they blow their doors off in the second half. I think a team like Cleveland State, are they going to win? No. Are they going to cover the 20-20 and a half? Uh, they might. It looks like an 18 to 20 point win for Houston, but I think the value is to look for those teams to cover in the first half. All right, Scott Spritzer joined us, Doc Sports. You can get Scott's uh, selection at DocSports.com. Diving into the trends, looking at these teams, and again, what I love about you, Scott, it, it's just you're not a trend guy, you're not a stat guy. Again, you factor in the coaching, you factor in the players, and all this other kind of stuff, and that's why we can have some great, meaningful conversations. You know, not only March Madness, but just all the sports when we start talking and handicapping this. And of course, with March Madness, everyone has a bracket, everybody, you know, has an opinion. Give me a, an opinion or two for you here as you look in at maybe a, a team that you feel like, wow, I'm pretty excited about this team that, you know, they could maybe get to the final four or elite eight. Then maybe someone that, that the average public isn't thinking that could do that. Yeah. You know, I, I'm, I don't know if it's like that far fetched, so I'm not sure if I'm going to be breaking, you know, a team that you're all going to, your jaws are going to drop or anything like that. I don't tend to do that. Right. When it comes to who's going to get to the final four, only because, you know, one, two, and three seeds, I think, have won 29 of the last 31 championships, and one seeds have won the last three, not the overall one, but number ones in general. And so I'm sitting there and I'm thinking, okay, I'm, I, got, I got one for you here, TC, and we'll see what your thoughts are on this. I like the region they drew. It is a three seed, so it's not like I'm going crazy here, but I think the Texas Longhorns have a, a, a decent shot to get to the final four. Uh, the teams that they will play after they beat Abilene Christian in the opening round could be BYU, Michigan State, or UCLA. And after that, you've got to throw in Alabama in all likelihood in the mix that they would face. That's not going to be easy. You've got Michigan coming out of the other section of the East where they could play Texas. That would be an Elite Eight game if both teams get that far. And, of course, Florida State's coming out of there. But I think Texas is a team uh, that is just, I think, right now on – course to be able to shock a few of those bigger teams in their particular region. That's another team. I think I was talking about Michigan State earlier when I talked about the fact that they had a little COVID break. They beat Kansas State back on January 16th, and then Texas had a break. They couldn't play for 10 days. And then look who they face right after they have COVID issues. Oklahoma, Baylor, Oklahoma State. They lost all three. We all forgot about Texas for a while. This is a top 25 team in adjusted efficiency offense, top 36 team in defensive adjusted efficiency. You don't see that a lot from both ends of the court. They're great against the three and against the two. They shoot the three and the two well. They get to the free throw line, and they don't commit a lot of fouls. So it's a situation where I think that that team is still flying under the radar a little bit. Yeah, I agree with you. All right, let's talk real quick about Gonzaga, Scott. Everybody pretty much has Gonzaga as the favorite, understandably so, and their path seems to be you know, fairly easy, at least until you get like to the Elite Eight or so. Break down Gonzaga, and we know that they've just about won every game you know, by, well, they have by double digits, and there was a point going into the WCC tournament where the average margin of victory was 24 points. Do you think that the Gonzaga Bulldogs get this job done and, uh, and, and go undefeated, 
first team since Indiana 75-76, or is there a weakness or two that Gonzaga has here that they could get picked off? Gosh, I'm, I'm thinking about their only weaknesses. I'm trying to envision their weaknesses. And I think the closest thing they have to a weakness is that as big as they are sometimes with their lineups on the floor, uh, they don't create a lot of block shots on the defensive end. Uh, they don't seem to intimidate shooters when shooters drive. But again, they haven't faced a great schedule when it comes to their own conference. We know that. It's like UNLV used to be in the Big West back in the day. But then you look at what they did, non-conference portion of the season, 102 against Kansas. I know Kansas is better now, but 102 against Kansas, double-digit win. 87 points at a neutral side against West Virginia. They scored 99 on the Hawkeyes and beat them by double digits. The Hawkeyes are a contender. They're one of the top five or six teams in college basketball, power rating-wise. It's tough to find a weakness. And what I do, guys, is I look at the four number one seeds, and then I try to break down which team or teams have the easiest path to get to the Final Four, which teams have the toughest. And Gonzaga, relatively speaking, has the easiest path. Illinois, Baylor, Michigan all have tough situations. Gonzaga could draw Iowa in the Elite Eight, maybe Kansas. Uh, but again, it's a situation where they've already beaten both of those teams by doubles, and I think they could do it again. So, yeah, it's tough to find a weakness. Again, maybe you'd like to see them intimidate a little bit more on the defensive interior, but I'm really splitting hairs when I say that. Mm-hmm. You mentioned the fact with, uh, when you look at the number one seeds there and the Zags have the easiest path, it looks like. How do you rank those other ones? Baylor came down to earth a little bit after their COVID issues, but they seem to be playing pretty good right now. Michigan's got an injury here or there. Illinois had a nice run. Where do you put the other three? How many Final Four teams do we see in the – I mean, how many number one seeds do we see in the Final Four, and what's the most susceptible one that you see to getting knocked out? I think Michigan's the most susceptible. You mentioned injuries. Isaiah Livers, not having him, is is a huge, huge loss, obviously. Uh, They lost three of their last five games. They're going to have a second-round matchup potentially against LSU, which won't be easy. And and really, neither will St. Bonnie's if they get by LSU, at least on paper. And I think it can translate at least for a while on the floor if they take on St. Bonnie's. Then if you get to the Sweet 16, you're likely playing Florida State. Elite Eight, you've got Alabama or Texas. You already know how I feel about Texas. So I think Michigan... When you factor in not having Isaiah Livers has the toughest road to hoe when it comes to getting to the Final Four of one of the one seeds. Uh, Illinois, big fan of what they've done and that coaching staff. That path is tough. You get past Drexel, but then you've got potentially Loyola Chicago or Georgia Tech. So you're either facing a top 15 power-rated Loyola Chicago team or you're with a great coach at Porter Moser, or, or you're facing Georgia Tech who had the ACC Player of the Year in Moses' right. If they advance there they get the likely winner of Tennessee Oak State. Oklahoma State has, you know, arguably, you could say, the best player in college basketball. So it's not easy. I I do think Illinois, guys, is going to end up facing Ohio State in the Elite Eight for a berth to the Final Four. Uh, So I do think they'll get at least to the Elite Eight. Baylor, tough. But here's the thing about Baylor. We're going to find out early on how much all those COVID issues meant. And if they look like they're back to being Baylor, they should advance to the Final Four. Uh, they could have you know, North Carolina in the second round. Very big basketball team. Very good on the offensive glass. That's always dangerous. And then Purdue down the road. But, again, I think Gonzaga has the easiest way out. I think Baylor is second easiest if they're healthy and, and playing back to the way they were when they were healthy. And then after that, Illinois third. Michigan, I think, has the toughest path. All right, Scott. You got your bracket filled out yet? If so, uh, give us your final four. I'll give you my final four. I'm going to go with Gonzaga out of the West. There's a shocker, right? Uh, 
Texas out of the east. I am going to, I guess I'm going to have to say out of the south, Illinois nips Ohio State out of the south. And then over in the Midwest, uh, I'm going to end up, excuse me, I said that wrong, Baylor over Ohio State in the south. I'm trying to think of this off the top of my head. Illinois is in the Midwest. So Gonzaga, Texas, Baylor, and Illinois. And I'm going to say it's Gonzaga over Illinois in the championship game. Gonzaga cutting down the nets. All right, there you go. All right, great stuff, Scott. Uh, Appreciate it, as always. Uh, Tell our listeners uh, where they can find you, man. Yeah, the site is DocSports.com. We are celebrating our 50th anniversary, not internet-wise, obviously, but as a company overall, it's 50th year this year. And uh, so we're celebrating that over at DocSports.com and also uh, on Twitter at Scott Wins. And uh, I believe that they have kept the same logo for 50 years, too. Isn't that correct? I love it, man. The the football (laughs) player with the medic. I mean, this is right up your alley. You know, the doctor. I I know. You know, so I can remember being like eight years old and seeing that logo back in the 70s. And here I am working with that company now. And I I, I remember strolling in the Stardust and my doctor's greens. And I go up there and I go, wait a minute, who's this imposter? You know, with these uh, these booklets that are there at the the window. (laughs) I mean, what is this? Is this a a bad character of me? What's the deal, Leo? But no, again, uh, great company, 50 years. uh, Congratulations uh, uh, to Wade and the gang and the family and all that stuff. So good deal. Appreciate it, man. All right, brother. Be good, and uh, we hopefully we will talk to you uh, very soon, and we continue to get a chance to pick your brain a little bit as uh, the brackets continue. Sounds good, my friend. Take all care. All right, there he is, Scott Spritzer, DocSports, DocSports.com. That's where you go. Again, breaking it down from the coach's side with Pete Gillen today, the handicapping side with Scott Spritzer. Yeah, and uh, always good information with Scott, and uh, congratulations on the 50 years there. And I remember when uh, – you know, years ago, one of the times when I came out here and they were famous for their Big Ten Player of the Year in yes. football that they hit for, like, yeah. forever. Yeah. <laughs> yep, that is true. That is true. Yeah, Midwest Company, Wisconsin Company, and uh, been out here for a long time. Now, it doesn't mean that Scott's been with them for 50 years. Let's, no. Let's, let's, no. <laughs> Scott's not that old. And even though they're a Wisconsin Company, there's nothing cheesy about them. Whoa, there you go. <laughs> there you go. So you you actually have a little bit of love for Wisconsin too. It's just the Packers that you just the don't people like, huh? in Wisconsin yeah. are very nice. Every yeah. time I went up there, I generally had a good time. Yeah. You got anything against Marquette or the Brewers or you know? I actually used to love the, the Marquette Bucks. and uh, DePaul basketball games yes. years ago when it was Ray Meyer and uh, Al McGuire being the coaches. Because mm. I remember Al telling the story one time about during the halftime of the games at the old uh, Blue Demons, the Alumni Hall. It was such a small and old gym in that that they said that frequently there wasn't hot water in the showers and the walls were so thin in the locker rooms that al said if me and ray both screamed at our teams at the same time that nobody could make anything out so they actually had a system where ray would get the first five minutes then he'd hit the wall then al would take five they would take turns screaming at their team so he said when we went out for the second half there were no secrets or anything because everybody knew everything but the walls were literally so so small and intimate in that that you literally heard everything the other coach said at halftime, even from your team and the other team. So you tell me there was screaming in the showers before Penn State? I uh, I don't know about it on the wrestling <laughs> match, but in the showers, yes. Okay. <laughs> there it is. Frank in Wisconsin. And I said the locker room. I didn't necessarily say the showers. <laughs> go, Pat, go! I hate you, Numb Charles. <laughs> Why's everybody always picking on me? Because you're such an easy target. That's why. All right, we come back. We'll talk a little NFL. We'll get you updated because it's, it's madness on the NFL side as well, too. Free agency madness next. 
The T.C. Martin Show. There's only one thing we know for sure. The Giants of New York took on the Packers of Green Bay. The Dr. T.C. Martin. He was a most ripping victory by kicking an oblong ball made of pigskin to a big H. The Doctor is now in. All right. The William Hill Mobile app. Now is the time to get it. Download it on your phone first and foremost. If you don't have it already, open a new account. Now is the best time to do that. Download it on your phone, then go over to the Cosmopolitan Las Vegas or any of the William Hill Sportsbooks. They are all over town, whether it's the Sportsbook, the kiosks, just about everywhere, and they will give you 50 free dollars. When you mention TC50, that's the promo code, TC50, deposit at least $50 in a new account. They'll match it with an additional 50 You got free money to play with. That is the William Hill mobile app. Easy to use, in-game wagering. Now is the time to get it. Avoid all those long lines at all the sports books, the parking, everything. Get the William Hill mobile app. All right, speaking of that, uh, Nick Bogdanovich will be joining us tomorrow. We'll get uh, his take. And, uh, again, a lot of lines moving, money coming in, a lot of six-figure bets coming in, uh, and uh, they're taking them all at William Hill. So, yeah, get the William Hill mobile app. So are you are you recommending that they march down to the Cosmopolitan to partake in the madness? Yes. March down with your madness, no doubt. NFL, free agency. We got to touch on a bunch of signings. Let's start with Taysom Hill. We just talked about Drew Brees retiring yesterday. And now Taysom Hill, what are they going to do with Taysom Hill, Jameis Winston? Taysom Hill signs a four-year $140 million contract extension. Then they go ahead and they say, okay, Jameis, we'll take you too. Give you a one-year deal for $12 million. So I think that answers the question. Even though they signed Jameis Winston, we talked yesterday, who's going to be the starting quarterback in New Orleans? And we know that Sean Payton has always said, hey, once Drew Brees retires, Taysom Hill is going to be fine. That's why we drafted him. That's why we wanted him. 140 million reasons why he is going to be the starting quarterback. There's interesting things about this because $12 million for a backup quarterback is still not bad pay. So, you know, Winston, if he gets a shot, uh, you'll see if they want to use him at all. Because remember, Hill, they did use a lot with Breeze and that, but it certainly sounds like he's the starter. But the first thing that I thought of when I saw this is we just talked to TJ Reeves yesterday and he was saying how the Saints have no money. So how how are they signing these contracts? Did, did they let? Are, are they going to have enough money to pay everybody else on the team now? They're already way over the cap. All right, so let's examine this. All right, so Drew Brees is gone, and now you got Hill and you got Winston. Now you got Winston as an insurance policy because basically you were getting him for cheap before to back up Drew Brees, and he impressed. The little bit of time that we saw, but we didn't get a chance to see much with him. So we still, he was serviceable, serviceable, and we don't know. And we saw him on the one trick play, throw the touchdown pass in the playoff game, and but that was really it. Now we saw Taysom Hill, you know, get a majority of those starts. Then when Drew Brees came back, Taysom Hill got his seven to eight snaps. So again, we really don't know about either guy here. We don't know if Winston is is that Tampa Bay guy, you know, the thirty interception guy. So if you're New Orleans and you say, okay, Drew Brees is gone, Taysom Hill is our guy, and we sign him for $140 million. you're clearly saying he's our guy because this isn't a one- or two-year deal. It's four years for $140 million. 
why even sign Jameis Winston? Now, you could say, okay, it's only $12 million, but still, $12 million can help you, you know, with the cap. Maybe they can, they can help you get, uh, you know, another running back or can help you, uh, you know, get a defensive lineman or maybe help a you, safety. It could help you keep some players that you it, already have. Exactly, exactly. So I'm think, thinking here, okay, you really don't believe in Taysom Hill if you still want Jameis Winston as your insurance policy. Go ahead and, and pick somebody up. You know, get a guy who's been in the league three or four years if you want them for a lot cheaper, or go ahead and draft a quarterback maybe in the later round and develop that guy like you did with Taysom Hill. So for me, if he's your guy, why even throw this out there with Winston? Like, okay, now, you know, people are going to say, come training camp, the competition is on. That's that's exactly what they're going to say, and that's what's going to happen here. The only thing I can say about drafting a guy when you just gave this four-year contract to Hill is, is that sending a message that you're drafting somebody? Because we know how sensitive some of these athletes are today. Why are you drafting a quarterback? You just signed me. Do you not really believe in me? You gave me this money. Okay, Winston's already here. He knows the system. We need a backup, so you have him. It's just strange now because it used to be that everything that an organization did, whether it was true or not, was always in whatever is best for the team. Now it seems like you're playing with egos and other things out there, and we don't want to upset somebody and send the wrong message. You know, like in Green Bay, Aaron Rodgers is upset. They drafted a quarterback. Well, eventually they're going to have to replace you no matter when that is or whatever if it's best for the team. But now it, it seems like a whole different scenario out there. So that's why I would guess maybe they weren't going to drafting a quarterback. But I'm with you. You could maybe get a good young quarterback. If Taysom Hill doesn't work out, well, then you have somebody maybe in place. If he does, great. You still got a guy for his rookie contract that's a nice backup for a while because injuries happen in this league. I, I, I don't get it. I don't know when the whole mentality was no longer what's best for the team anymore, but now you see it all over the place. How's he going to react? We see quarterbacks demanding that they have more input on everything. It's a different era. It's a different world. It's a different league. If I'm New Orleans, this isn't necessarily the move I make, and I'm still curious to see where are they going to get the money from. Yeah. I mean, look at all the money that they have wrapped up just in these two quarterbacks, and neither one has proven to be a very good starter. I mean, look at that. Four years divided by 140. Okay? It's about $35 million a year. So, so basically you've got, for next season, you've got $47 million tied up in that one position. You don't have Aaron Rodgers. You don't have Patrick Mahomes. Yeah. And that's Aaron Rodgers and his backup. Right. That's crazy. It's, I, I, I don't – that's why I'm saying it. And, again, yeah. it, TJ told us yesterday they're already over the cap. Now they're going to go more over it? Ryan Fitzpatrick signs a one-year deal with Washington. $10 million. How is Jameis Winston worth more than Ryan Fitzpatrick? At least in the Saints' eyes he is. I mean, again, Ryan Fitzpatrick has proven what he can do in this league. Jameis Winston certainly has it. That's Some people still think Ryan Fitzpatrick maybe should have been the starter down in Miami. I agree. I, totally I, I agree. think we're yeah. both on the same yeah. page there. Yeah, I, I don't understand it. And and how about, too, when you talk about the quarterbacks there, Rivera basically coming out about a week or so ago and admitting that I was afraid to play Smith because I didn't want him to get hurt. Right. Tyler Heineke, he's the guy there. All right. He's making a lot less than $10 million in Fitzy to back him up. Jacoby Brissett goes to Miami for a one-year deal. 
I don't know. I understand. You know, he's in Indianapolis. He was there last year backing up Phillip Rivers. Now he says, okay, I got to get out of here. Now you're going to a place where they basically said our franchise guy is Tua. Now you're going to go sit behind him thinking maybe he gets injured. So I don't know about that move. Tyrod Taylor goes to Houston, a one-year deal, $12.5 million. This guy is like the career backup of all backups. Uh, Maybe he's a starter down there when Deshaun leaves. Yeah. I mean, that's what he's hoping for, right? Yeah. I mean, I I don't know. But but that's on the Texans. If the Texans are not going to deal Deshaun Watson, he's going to be sitting there cashing his check as a backup again. And he thought he was going to be the guy with the Chargers. And what happened? He got hurt with that freak injury. And all of a sudden, boom. uh, You know, Herbert rises to the occasion. And, okay, Tyrod, you're out of here. Andy Dalton, you gotta love this one, Frank. Chicago Bear. Andy no, Dalton's a bear for ten million. Why would I have to love Go that? Go Bears! Why would I have to love that? Wow. So now they're gonna overpay. You just said twelve million wasn't. I'm sorry, ten million for Andy Dalton. What did he do in Dallas outside of making sure that Dak Prescott got a gigantic contract because yeah. he proved that he couldn't really get it done? Didn't impress. Didn't impress at all. And now what are they are they going to re-sign Trubisky or is he going to get a long-term contract? Is he the backup to Trubisky? Is he the guy that's going to they're going to put in place in case they don't have that? This is open it, competition. I mean, that's legit open competition. It probably yeah. is, yeah. but again, Trubisky actually played well in the If they sign him, they've almost got to sign him saying we are going to give you the shot to be our guy. But and I don't know if Andy Dalton can be a decent backup. You're hoping that you don't have to use a backup. He's certainly not the future in Chicago. It's not the future, but he could give you a couple good years. Again, in he had, some, he? he had some very good years in Cincinnati. Now, and remember, for the last five years, he's had garbage around him. I mean, garbage. But and we talked about this last year. Look at his stats in Cincinnati with those bad teams. You know, I don't know. Maybe maybe the Bears are, are a little bit better equipped than the Bengals. So. For me, I'll, I'll tell you, me personally, I like Dalton better than I like Trubisky. That shows you how little I like Trubisky. I I don't just because I still think Trubisky has talent, and I like the way that he came on at the end of last season. I'm still not sold on him being a quarterback. But if you're going to go back to saying, well, Andy Dalton looked good with Cincinnati, how long ago was that? And how good did he really look? Two, he had, three years ago? He had some decent talent around him that he didn't. I'm, I'm just not sold on Andy Dalton. Yeah. I, I just don't think he's that good. But you do have Mitchell Trubisky, which is your your bar is set very very low. Well, I understand so, that, but you, you know agree what? open competition with those guys. You just don't hand that that job to Trubisky. I I don't know what you do there. <laughs> I mean, I wouldn't be opposed to just starting from scratch and trying to get somebody again. But I I, I question the Bears all the time. I love the team. Okay. I hate the front office. So knowing that Trubisky is a question mark, so is Alex Smith. These are all free agents. Joe Flacco, AJ McCarron, Colt McCoy. Uh, you can go Glennon or C.J. Beathard. Which one of the – you like Andy Dalton better than all those guys? I do. I don't like any of them necessarily. Uh, well, I just I, don't. But I, but I like Dalton better than those guys. Now you got Dalton, at least. You're paying him, you know, only $10 million. So might as well roll with Andy. It's it's like putting a plate of food in front of me <laughs> with eight items that I don't like any of them and saying, which one do I like the – Dislike the least, and we know I don't like any of them. Chicago has said they made an aggressive move towards Russell Wilson. Yes, they tried to get him. You know, well, not only that, but Seattle has said also that they tried to make an aggressive move towards him. The Bears wanted Russell Wilson. That didn't work out for him. 
right now it kind of seems like you 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 drafted Trubisky. He had a decent end of last season. You almost got to go with him because you're the one that you, you got to play the hand you're dealt. Sometime bringing in Andy Dalton. I'm sorry, that's hoping to hit the one card on the river. I don't see it working out. The Jaguars signed wide receiver Marvin Jones to a two-year deal, $14.5 million, 9.2 guaranteed. Okay, Jacksonville trying to build there with Urban Meyer and their new quarterback from Clemson. We'll see how that works out. The Giants signed defensive lineman uh, Leonard Williams to a three-year, $63 million deal. How about that? $45 million guaranteed. Ouch. Wow. Giants overspending there. But... Got themselves a good D lineman in Leonard Williams. And Hunter Henry, the Pats don't quit. Pats made five big signings yesterday. The Pats now get Hunter Henry from the Chargers. Three years, $37.5 million. $25 million of that is guaranteed. And uh, Rob Gronkowski is back with Tom Brady for at least one more year uh, with incentives up to $10 million. So relatively cheap price there. But the Tampa Bay Buccaneers spending money. The Pats spending money. Interesting stuff here. It's amazing to me that the Pats ha- or that the Buccaneers have money to spend. And when it comes yeah. to New England, we knew that they had some, but are they the only team? Did they raise the salary cap for them? Because they're they're signing everybody. They are. But remember, they did. did nobody Brady make left, anything before. I mean, well, and I Brady do, left. And I get that. That freed up a yeah. lot of stuff. It, it freed built, up a lot of yeah. cash. It also freed up your chances of winning a Super Bowl. Yeah, but remember, they got all rid of all those guys on the defense defensive side of the ball the last two years as well, too. So yeah, and. The, the Patriots, all of a sudden, I look at this team, I'm going, wow, oh, wait a minute. Then they came back and signed Cam Newton, so now I'm going, wait a minute. You just went backwards. And I thought, good for you, uh, New England, Bill Belichick, Robert Kraft saying we're moving away from Cam, that one-year experiment didn't work. Cam Newton came out and said, what, just three weeks ago, I'm not coming back here. All of a sudden, he signed a deal? I'm going, wait a minute, now you're going backwards? And now you're signing some heavy, high-priced free agents, but very good players you're bringing in here. But with Cam Newton, it kind of like negates it for me. Yeah, I, I don't understand. I, I do find it interesting. Tom Brady goes down to Florida to win a championship. Robert Kraft goes down there for a completely different reason. <laughs> <laughs> the Jaguars are in spending mode. $1.4 billion since 2011. That's with a B. Yeah. <laughs> Jeez. Craziness. All right. I want to thank Scott Spritzer for joining us today as well as Pete Gillen. Pete Gillen, uh, we'll see him in some studio work with CBS during the course of the NCAA tournament, which gets underway Thursday night with not one, not two, not three, four games with the play-in games, including Wichita State, Drake on Thursday night, Michigan State, and UCLA. And then we get all into it on Friday and Saturday. We will be at the Cosmopolitan broadcasting the show live from there. So be prepared for some loudness in the madness because it'll be loud in the Chelsea. I don't know if Numchuck knows this yet, but it's going to be very loud in there. Ooh, so, yeah. Yeah, the madness brother. Yeah. You're going to get your man uh, macho, macho madness to try to hang out with us? Yeah, I don't know about that. Remember Save two, him for WrestleMania. Remember two, Double B, Brian Benwitz told us it was sold out. However, he said keep on checking the website. There could be a cancellation. That's right. If you can get in there, you probably want to be there. You definitely do. CosmopolitanLasVegas.com for hoops and hops. All right, Nick Bogdanovich will join us tomorrow. We'll continue on hitting everybody and also getting some serial madness qualifiers as well, too. And we've got a bracket to give away, too. So if you stay to the end of the show, it's your lucky time. 702-221-7283. Call us now. We'll give you a free entry into the 
Picks for OV contest. Call us now. Miss any part of the show, you know where to go. TCMartinShow.com.